Hi, my name's Heather, and in this podcast, we're talking about practices and habits that spark a deeper love. Today, we're joined by Katrina McAlexander. Katrina is a third-generation farmer, fermenter, and nurse practitioner. As a business entrepreneur, she diversified the family farm, opening up a wedding venue, brewery, cidery, tasting room with the most epic pizza, and planted a vineyard. Katrina's heart is to create restorative places for folks to come and be refreshed. She does that work on the orchard and her farm and weekly in the county jail as a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Katrina's faith and values of generosity and hospitality tell such an inspiring story of the way work can be a place of gratitude and hope. Katrina has always been a refreshing, generous presence in my life. She'll be joining us to talk about the practices and habits of work and generosity. All right, today we are here with Katrina McAlexander. Katrina, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. We're going to be talking about um, work and generosity and those practices in our lives and how they spark deeper love for ourselves and for God and for others. And so... um, Maybe just to start out with, uh, Trina, I'd love to hear about your history with work. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, I'm, gosh, a fourth-generation farmer. So my first job, like, like I actually feel a lot of children have this as their first job, was picking strawberries. So in June, my parents would wake me up. I was about, in, I think it started around second, third grade. We'd get up very early like four in the morning and we'd go over to my grandfather's house and we would pick berries and you know the whole goal of that is to fill a flat but you know in your second third grade you definitely like eat a berry (laughs) pick a berry and um my mom was working beside me and my sister and um you know you're a little bit like bleary at four in the morning but we just like would go for it and then I just remember feeling the sense of like, you know, we're all coming together for this shared activity of picking strawberries and then people are going to enjoy these little sweet treasures of June. Um, so that was my very first job. And I guess some truths that came out of that was that work doesn't always happen at a time that you love. <laughs> um, also this idea that I think I said this before to you that the idea of second grade me knowing to eat a berry and then to pick a berry was that I would, your work should fulfill you and nurture you and be meaningful to you as well as for the world. So I didn't know that at the time. I just thought I loved strawberries, but I think (laughs) I I take that into, I'm 45 years old now and um, I'm still believing that you should, your work should nourish you as well as the world. So that was your first job um, and it sounds like that was really meaningful, even as a kid, this, the sense of what was being imprinted on you as it relates to work was really, was already there. Like as a, as a kid picking strawberries, understanding that related to work, um, any other experiences like that you, like that, that you had, that you felt like you gleaned an insight about what work was for or not for? Yeah. Well, I think I probably 
my first job off the farm where I wasn't um, harvesting something or watering something or weeding something was I got this opportunity to work in uh, a surgical office and I had some interest in the human body. I was fascinated by the brain and I got a job working for a surgeon, but my job was organizing the chart room. And specifically, I was like supposed to like go through and like people who had passed away, I was supposed to like take their charts off the shelf to make room for new patients. And I remember thinking this is maybe the boringest job <laughs> of all time. Um, and, and I'm supposed to do it from nine to five. And like there was enough work to do that particular work from nine to five. And this is like before there was like earbuds. So there was no podcast. You couldn't listen to music. All you had was like your own head, like your own head going, why? <laughs> so anyway, I guess the point of that uh, work though was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to make it in an office environment. I don't have organizational skills. Like that's not a strength of mine. And I think those jobs actually, you know, at the time are a little bit painful, but in the end, once you get through them, you realize more about what, who you are and what you need to be doing in the world again to feel like you're getting that satisfaction of I'm doing this work for others and um, grateful for the opportunity. Still became a nurse and a nurse practitioner, still love you know, helping and partnering with people still love science, still love the human body, but just don't want to be organizing charts. <laughs> That's its own kind of insight, like understanding where you want to give your yeses and where you're like, oh yeah, that's a no, this is not. Mm -hmm. And even tied into what you said at the beginning, like it may be helpful in a certain space, but it's definitely not nourishing like who you are or where you come alive. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about what, what is work now? What kind of work do you do now? And some of those things that you just named, how you experience them in the work that you do now? Mm -hmm. Well, so I grew up on a 50 acre farm on the north side of Mount Hood. And it's, we primarily grow fruit like peaches, cherries, apples and pears and veggies too, some fruit and, sorry, flowers, I meant to say. And I don't know, around like age seven or eight, I started um, just having this thing inside of me, like this knowing, like, I'm going to someday run this farm or someday I'm going to carry on this legacy farm because my parents had bought it from my grandparents. And I don't know where that came from. I didn't really, that wasn't you know, it just kind of was this feeling like oh, someday I'm going to buy this farm. So um, I did it uh, about five, six years ago. I put down a huge down payment and I left my life in the city. I was working there as a full-time psychiatric nurse practitioner, primarily with people who live outside and in our county jail. Um, and I had saved this big nest egg and I came out here and just started getting my hands dirty and still working off the farm because to be honest, most farmers have two jobs or they have to have some source of stable income because farming can be very unpredictable and vulnerable at times. So um, 
I looked at the books and I started realizing that what my parents were doing was great if you had the farm paid off. But if you have to make a land payment and you have to run the farm and pay everybody a living wage and, you know, maybe every once in a while be able to go out to eat or go on a vacation, I was going to have to change and add some things to the farm to make it financially viable and sustainable. So um, that's what I've been doing ever since. I've kind of been dreaming on the farm with God, getting these ideas that I feel like have been inspired and building up different parts of it. Like we've added an area where we do weddings and hospitality Mm -hmm. and we added a tasting room where we now make all of our own hard cider. We make wine, we make beer, we make hard seltzer, we make non-alcoholic drinks like fruit seltzers and root beer and fresh fresh cider and I don't know it's kind of been my dream job because you know as an Enneagram 7 I'm constantly um my brain just naturally is like okay what else is out there like it's it's harder for me to do this where we're just like very much in the moment it's easier for me to be like few steps in front like saying this is the way we're gonna go so it's been so fun in some ways like the farm is massive canvas and I just get to kind of create on it all the time and um it's it's been better than I hoped for but it's been harder than anything I've ever done like it's definitely when people are like I'm going into business for myself so you know I can have all this free time I'm like well sometimes when you go into business for yourself you actually work way more hours than you did when you just like work for the man um but you're loving doing it because it's like your baby and you're like trying to you know get your dream off the ground and but it's not always sexy work like there's been a lot of washing dishes and there's been a lot of like fixing septic tanks and fix you know like when the toilet systems fail you're the first person that gets called (laughs) like your employees are like hey we got a problem up here and so you're kind of in charge of none of the glamorous jobs but also you know you get to support other people and invite them into a dream where they benefit and prosper off of your dream and that's super satisfying as well well and you i like just watching you have a dream and then as an entrepreneur and a businesswoman and just it it's incredible to watch that unfold or have seen that unfold and then just the way that you do generously invite other people in but I know that you still you still on Thursdays go you have a Thursday job too I'd love to hear just a like a snippet of what Thursdays are like for you in the midst of the farming and these septic tanks and fruits and ciders um Thursdays you still you work yeah yeah so I don't know um I guess the beauty of becoming a nurse practitioner which I know not every profession allows is you can sign up for full-time work you could sign up for a job and a half or you could sign up for one day or two days a week so which lends itself to agriculture work so I, when I first got here, I was working four days a week off the farm and my parents were still very much in charge of running 
like all of the nitty gritty of the day to day. But slowly I've been able to wean back to one or two days a week off the farm. And I work at our local jail in the medical clinic and do a lot of partnering with people who are low on resources, incredibly vulnerable, you know, have trouble finding like basic needs, like enough food to eat, a place to sleep. And I help partner with them and figure out kind of their goals and whether it's around health, like kind of working on mental health or physical health, or they want to partner with trying to get on some sort of housing service. And I basically bridge them over to community services and kind of talk to them about um, how jail is like the ultimate reboot because you have no phone you have nothing out into the world that kind of distracts you I always say that it's an adult timeout and basically whatever you were doing in the world that was sort of like derailing your train you go to jail and in some ways you kind of come back to yourself you come home to yourself and you're like whoa what how did I get so far from the path I want to be on and sometimes that moment you know you kind of find your yes and what you really want to do and then it makes it easier if you're struggling with addiction or if you're struggling because honestly we need each other we need each other sometimes because we don't always know what resources are available to us um I don't know about you but there's been times in my life where somebody said oh you know what you need and it's been like such a pivotal moment of help in my life because sometimes you don't know what you need or you don't know where to find it so Anyway, that's my job in jail. I'm like, I go in there and yeah, I'm treating people's bodies and helping people's minds, but mostly I'm trying to connect them with community so that they can live a better life out here. And definitely it's been harder during this pandemic because there's more people needing resources. And so there's less resources to share, which I'm always trying to figure out, um, how we can make sure everybody has enough and there's enough resources for everybody in a vulnerable place. And that chimes in with my big passion for generosity and making sure that when we have extra, we share the extra that we have with others. So everybody has enough. And that's has to do with my, my relationship with Jesus and this idea of caring for the community out of the abundance that he gives us. That's such a good, um, like, I think the picture of that, this abundance that comes from the farm and then the the ways that you, the desire to see that abundance happen in the community and how does faith in God inform what work is for then? You kind of just touched on that. Um, And then in what ways are work and generosity connected in the things that you do? Well, I think I told you that I was raised in the Mormon faith and, um, you know, have some positive experiences with that as a kid, like really um, have some fun stories of like doing stuff with my peers and just all of the just family activities that are offered. But one thing that happened is I don't remember, I don't recall encounters when I was young, learning about the nature and the characteristics of Jesus. So there was a lot of the story of like how Mormonism was 
created and how, you know, persecution stories and, um, but there wasn't a lot of like, let me break down who Jesus is in the gospel. And so when I was like my senior year of high school, we weren't, we weren't going to church anymore. We stopped going and then we didn't do any sort of like um, Sunday activity or organized religion. Um, and at 18, I had a friend who was pretty intensely Christian, if you know what I mean. Like, so, like, I don't think I'll ever be that hardcore Christian. Um, but just what I remember about him that was different than most high schoolers is he was consistently kind to everyone, you know, in a time in your life where there's no points for kindness, there's no, you know, you're, it's just like doggy dog world in high school and everybody's just trying to be funny and cool and um, look good. And he just like, that wasn't his um, modus operandum at all. He just was like there to serve and to be kind and I've, at some point, we, he handed me a Bible and was like, well, have you ever even picked this up or read about the read? Do you know who Jesus is? And I just kind of remember thinking, no, no, I don't really have no idea. Like, I, I imagine him like in the manger as a baby. Like, I, I understood the Christmas Jesus. But other than that, you know, you know about like the cross Jesus, but there's this whole gap in time where you most people don't really know about what he was about. And so one night I just kind of was like, if you're out there, or if there is a God or a Jesus, or if just something that I need to pay attention to, I just ask that you'd show yourself to me. And I started reading in the gospels and I was so just like floored at um, how attractive and how like everything about Jesus is just so like it just every encounter that he has with people, especially people that are on the outsides of the community, it's just so incredibly loving and non-shaming and so merciful and so inviting. And so everything about it was just like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. And this idea that he's not doing anything you know, traditionally churchy, but he's just out in the world, loving people, sharing his resources, praying for the sick, you know, inviting people back into relationship. Like, it's just like everything about it was like, okay, I could get behind this guy. So that, that changed my life in the sense that I decided then that my job would be or what I wanted to do in the world is to just stop for the person in front of me, truly listen to them, love them in a way that they feel heard, accepted, and then partner with them or share my resources with them or help them in a nursing way or do something where they understand their value and they know their worth by just me um, seeing them, being with them, responding to their need and that has um been the most satisfying work of my life mm. and that's 
didn't end when I became a farmer. That only got easier to expend, extend more resources. So um, there really is a huge food shortage in our country. And it's hard to imagine because when everybody thinks of America, they think of us being very rich and we always have enough. But there really is a lot of people where their biggest meal is at lunch at the school because there's just not a lot of food. There's 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 not nutritiously dense food in their house. There's just um, calories in their house with not a lot of nutrition behind it. So one of the ways that um, I continue to try to be a resource in my community um, modeling after God is sharing, you know, sharing bins of apples with the food bank, um, holding, you know, fundraisers here where we help, you know, basically people get a leg up so that they can, the barriers that keep them from rising or, you know, coming into their dreams, those get moved when the community comes around them and shares. So anyway, um, the way that my relationship with Jesus works is that like him, like him in the gospel, it's my job just to like be in the world and stopping for the people in front of me, finding out their need or saying me too. I have that challenge as well. And just like being um, with them in their need. And if I have extra sharing what I have with them. Hmm. Well, and I, like I've, known that to be true of you just in knowing you that there's a kind of open-handedness that you have with friendship and with like food and with presence and then the other thing about the stuff that you do is that it's beautiful like coming out to the farm and visiting you it's just there's so much beauty there and a kind of grounding that can come just from the beauty and the abundance that is the farm. And so like it, it feels as though there's this part of you that is generous in terms of presence and seeing people that aren't always seen. And then just like the farm to table things that you do and just this, these invites in like the, the, I, I remember the story you were telling me about the tulips and the sunflower and just this sense of like creating a place where people can come and get grounded and then just seeing the professions that you have as professions of hope and like you said like sharing apples with food banks but then also just sharing beauty with people and hoping that it sure. is just this picture of something yeah well that's been i don't know about you but one of the things that i feel like has been I don't know, a saving grace or a silver lining during the pandemic is this idea of finding beauty. Hmm. And because it sort of turns your focus less from this inward place to more of an outward place. So I've had these ideas and I've been, I've, you know, you've probably visited like tulip farms or I don't know if you've ever seen stopped in like the Midwest and there's just fields of sunflowers and it just takes your breath away because you know, sunflowers are one of the coolest things to plant because, like, you know, the seed is just like this itty bitty seed when you put it in the ground. And then by the end of the summer, it could be 12 feet high and it's full of like this head of like thousands of seeds. Like the multiplication of flowers is just 
mind blowing if you think about it. Like there's this idea that we serve a creative God and that that his creation is all of a all around us, reminding us of how infinitely like um resourceful he is and how you know he can meet our needs beyond what we even could have hoped or imagined because he's just created all these things that continue to multiply and um so i don't know it was indeed the first month of the pandemic i was just feeling this sense of like fear all over our nation and what was so peacemaking for me and grounding was just getting my hands in soil i think a lot of people did that too i think a lot of people planted gardens and tried to um use maybe extra time that they had to grow food for themselves or the community but not only did i plant more seeds of food i planted more flowers because um beauty lost beauty found you know what i mean when you're in a field of flowers it's just like you can't worry about anything you're just like drinking in all the colors so i planted over 20,000 tulips and I planted like tens of thousands of sunflowers and I just started like creating little patches on the farm that would just be dedicated to encountering beauty and I wouldn't charge anybody to come there's no fee to come visit our flower fields and if you take a bouquet home we ask for compensation then um but anyway uh, that was healing to me just the seeing new life grow from these seeds or bulbs being in the fields would like kind of like I said bring me home bring me back to this place of that um that that God takes care of us in a way that we don't need to stress about the future and then sharing those fields brought me even more happiness it just doubled my happiness because when I saw people come up to the farm just to walk in the fields or take photos in the fields you know and the joy that it brought them i thought there really is a doubling of happiness when you share it like when you generosity really does bless you more than the person you're giving it to and um i think people forget that sometimes that like you know, if we go into the mindset of there's not going to be enough, or I, I barely have enough here, or, you know, that, that kind of scarcity mindset, it's, it's, it's like the opposite of like this idea of having so much, so much abundance, being grateful for so much you have and sharing it forward. And one way of thinking, you can never um, have enough cushion to feel safe or secure and the other way of thinking is you can never give enough away because you always the more you give the more you have it's like gratitude is the only thing that um you have more after you give like so the farming and the flowers and just all of that has been um i don't know some of the best highlights of my summer because i just see how much joy it's bringing my community and therefore it brings me more joy and everyone's welcome to come <laughs> if you're ever in Oregon come on up to Mount Hood we'd love to have you as our guests on the farm and that's how it feels being there it just feels like you're a guest on the farm and there's a kind of yeah it's the the value of generosity that 
exudes out of you but then that exudes out of the work that you do in the jail and then out of the work at the farm and and then I I guess the thing I would ask you like what what practices or what 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 are those practices that keep you alive alive to that and I know that we've talked about this so you named it that it's gratitude and you go by the grateful farmer so maybe there's just some ways you can talk about um like what helps the work the faith that you have connected to God and God's love for you God's love for others um like the generative sense of that connection that produces this kind of generosity um how would you say that or what would you talk about in terms of an actual practice or practices that help that to stay alive in you well you know i just like anybody i don't always wake up you know you know abounding in gratitude so sometimes it's almost like a so there's some practices that i do to try to help myself get um through that doorway of thanksgiving so uh, probably one of the easiest things I do is I put on um, you know, music. For some reason, music has this, you know, profound effect to sort of tune my um, heart into this place of gratitude. Um, I also think there's so much to be said by writing thank you letters. And when you have like something that touches your heart or something that a friend did or I've written to um you know my parents before to uh, people I don't know like businesses that I've had this incredible you know hospitality experience and I want them to know how grateful I am that they created that dream and that we could go there and that could be a third place for us to you know be nourished and so writing thank you letters, listening to praise, because it helps you enter into that gateway of Thanksgiving, and then writing out a journal, you know, I don't know, there is something to writing down, stopping in your day, and just writing a few things that you're thankful for, or grateful for, um, it just like changes your whole worldview for the day, and you can operate out of that place versus worry, I mean, worry is so contagious and it, you can just stay in that place of fear. But I feel like one of the opposite kind of um, like the antidote of that is gratitude because fear is, you know, we're all going to die and gratitude is there's going to be enough. Those are the three things I do pretty quickly or sometimes I just, I also think community matters. So like talk, talking to someone like you, talking to your partner, talking to, you know, kids your co-workers you know I feel like that gratitude question is universal so it's not like you know sometimes churchy questions will only work for the church where gratitude's for everybody everybody can play that so it's like I love talking to people about what are some things you're grateful for it's I don't know those are some really meaningful questions when you ask people that um we do a lot of times um giveaways at our tasting room where it's like tell I mean, we'll put on the instagram you know tell tell us someone you're grateful for and what they do and bring your life i mean so many people write you know some some person in their life or somebody like 
whether it's somebody they know or some random kind stranger. Because I think kindness is contagious too. And people want to continue um, sharing what they've experienced. And anyway, those are the practices that I do and that keep me um, in that mindset of there's always going to be enough. So I feel no sense of entitlement to this land at all. I mean, this land's going to outlive us. There's trees on the farm that are over 125 years old. So they're going to like, you know, I'm going to become dust and they're going to keep producing fruit. So the, this is just like a short visit here that I just feel like gratitude is my weapon of hope and like getting through um, anything, whether if it's like, there's been times you've known me a long time where we have these dreams that we don't have enough resources for, we don't have enough money. And um, it helps remind me when I go back and think about all the times where we didn't have enough money and somehow we made it work and God pulled through that it, there always seems to be enough. And so that gratitude is like almost like a home, like, you know, how like you tune a guitar or you, um, you focus something in a way where you can see gratitude has kind of been my um, barometer or the thing that kind of changes me so I can be in my life, believing the best for my story and those around me. Well, and I think the farm is a picture of that, like so much abundance, like the fruit is on the, there's so much fruit on the tree and then there's fruit on the ground. And then like even thinking about the music and things that you had over the pandemic, like people outside. Yeah, just think that the practices that you just named, the practices of kindness and gratitude, they end up, it just ends up showing up in these really tangible ways and it's yeah it brings a lot of life and a lot of hope yeah I mean that's that that's like part of one of my core values is that farming is this profession of hope because for instance every season has a purpose like right now it's winter season where we right now have four feet of snow on the ground here and all of the trees are dormant and um, but it's the season of like replenishing and like for me caring for myself and doing kind things for myself and also dreaming again on the farm like what do I want to plant in the spring and um, you know the hope of springs all around us even in the winter like you'll see little shoots coming up or crocus coming up or a little it's just I don't know there's always the hope of the next season which honestly really um is key for me. I don't know if winter is my season. Like I'm not super into winter sports. I'll go outside and do stuff every once in a while. I'll go cross country skiing, but I'm not like die hard mountain sports. So the hope of spring is what kind of keeps me going. Um, and spring is such a fun time if you love to grow things because you literally can see so much change in just a day. I mean, Planting seeds is like one of the best things that you can do to kind of remind you that nothing is permanent, nothing stagnant. Things are happening beneath the soil and you don't always see it. And Kenny's walking in again. I love it. Um, well, thanks. Thanks, Katrina. Thanks yeah. for spending time with us and being here and telling us the thoughts and the, yeah, the beauty of work and generosity and gratitude.
Yeah. Thank you for having me. And um, come to Oregon again soon. We miss you. Um, I'm glad you left a little heart, piece of your heart here. So you come home sometimes. Just yes. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope this conversation inspired and sparked ideas for ways you can engage in practices in your work and fun ways to cultivate habits of generosity. Remember, if you're ever in Hood River, to drop in on Katrina at Mount View Orchards. You can also read her blog at gratefulfarmer.com. Next week, we'll be joined by Robin Ray. Robin is currently an adjunct instructor at the University of Utah, where she teaches classes about infant and child beginnings and also intimacy and love. She comes with a great deal of understanding about secure attachment and how to develop it. She'll be joining us to talk about practices that will help us in our everyday lives develop deeper security so that we can act less out of places of anxiety and avoidance, which is really easy to do, and instead develop more secure ways of being in our relationships with God and others. I hope you'll join us.